Um, so a couple weeks ago, um, I was in the hunter's office and, uh, I, I grow one of the, one of the team members that grows the trees across the street. And I was looking out over a block of uh, sugar maples. So if everybody doesn't know, sugar maple would be the one that you'd see in, at fall. It's bright orange, red, yellow, but usually orange, kind of that fiery orange is what most people think when they think sugar maple. And the Lord said, it's, it's that tree season to shine, you know, to show off. And <clears throat> then he said, it's the church's season to shine, to show off. And so I shared that here and some other things. So basically this morning, what I want to do is kind of unpack that a little bit. And there's, there's a lot of scripture. Um, most of them we have, I'm going to take a couple of scriptures that we're real familiar with and read them out of the message, which we don't have on the computer. And, but I'm just going to do that because sometimes when we've heard it so many times, it doesn't really, it just kind of buzzes over. But when I read it in something a little different, it makes me think. It makes me, oh, okay. So, so we're going to kind of talk through the life of a tree for, for what we do. And then our life as Christians is my goal, kind of a, a parable-esque type thing this morning. Um, let's start and pray. And God, I just thank you for this day. Lord, we give you the glory for it. We thank you that we're able to come here into a building. We're free to worship you, to sing out loud, God, to lift you up. God, I pray right now, Lord, that what I would say would be what you would say, Lord, if you were standing here. Lord, may nothing I say be of me, but help it to be of you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So the way the tree is grown, um, I'm going to, we get all of our sugar maple from Oregon, so we're going we're gonna to go to Oregon real quick. They start out and they plant seeds of a sugar maple that is selected for its good root strength. It's called the rootstock. And they grow that one season and it comes up. And then that fall or into winter, they will take a bud of another tree selected for its characteristics. And they will actually, when the bark is slipping, they'll cut a T in it, they call it, and they fold it back. And then they slide that bud down in there. And then they wrap it with either like a like cellophane saran wrap or rubber band, different people use different things. So then the next year, that top of the rootstock keeps growing, but that bud should have taken and should start growing. Once it is growing, they will chop the rootstock off. All right. And then they will grow that for at least one year. What we buy, we call whips. Usually it's grown for a year. Some people buy a two-year plant. So the first thing that I feel like God kind of showed me is the reason it's done like that is because the rootstock is good at what it does. It's, it's strong, it's supportive, it's disease resistant and all that. And the Bible says in Romans 11, 11 through 24, we're in the new King James on this one. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, the speaking of the Jews actually right now, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, that's us, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? 
For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So they're speaking there of the Jewish people. And I love that God says, I can graft them back in. You know, that, that we are, the, we know, we're, we're our church, and I think we're strong supporters of, of Israel and the Jewish people, that the Bible says, I will bless those who bless them, I'll curse those who curse them. But there's also, they're our rootstock, you know, that because of them and because of Jesus, he made a way for us to be grafted into that. Okay, so we've got the tree, it's budded, it's growing out there, all right? Um, the other thing about that bud, again, at some point it came from a tree that showed really good characteristics, whether it be fall color or growth habit or whatever, you know, certain trees, it's flowers or this or that, but it was chosen because it was special. And that got me thinking, you know, that each one of us is special to God. Each one of you is a bud that he has picked and that he has allowed to be grafted in to grow and to prosper. And I don't think anything says it any better than the, the Psalms 139, um, 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned from me, when as yet there were none of them. I guess uh, I told Megan driving here this morning that every time I prepare a sermon and I think I have to stand in front of somebody, and tell them how to do this thing, you always think like, I'm not sure I know how to do this thing. You know, it's always a humbling uh, experience to do that. But the thing I, when I read that is God does have a purpose for each one of us. And Pastor Bernie, we were talking about it at some point, maybe it was Robin's memorial. I can't remember, but that he said, you know, some, it's, it's, 
it grips him to think, am I going to stand in front of God and say, and he's going to say, you did well, but there was this other thing too that you didn't say yes to, you know? And, um, because when I read that, when I read that he wrote them all in his book, the days fashioned for me, that says God has a plan for your life. That says you're important. That says that you have good characteristics. And we're not all, I mean, the thing about what I buy is 150 exactly same trees because when somebody plants 10 in a row, they want them to all look the same. But that isn't how God works, right? Every one of us is unique in how we're made and how we were knit together and how we were formed. So what they do out there, the trees are planted. I've been, it's, it's pretty neat. that They're planted like either six inches or a foot apart. And so, you know, you've got these rows that are 500 feet long and, and then just, you know, thousands of trees. And they have these, these big diggers that are like jacked up bulldozers. You know, the tracks are like that tall on them. So they drive over the row and they have a blade and it shakes and it just digs the row up and it, they come out the back. And then the guys are behind there. But once they're dug, they're sorted. Um, some of them the bud didn't take. So it's the rootstock still coming out. So that tree doesn't make the cut, which is kind of interesting. We'll talk about that a little later. But then they're sized, but the best ones are shipped, right? That's what we get shipped to us are the, the ones that are the same. But they're chosen, and they're chosen for a purpose. As you're chosen for a purpose, as you're grafted in, as you're allowed to grow from the root to get strength. They, then we get them here, and so... Obviously, not all of our souls the same. Some fields are wetter than others. Some are clay. Some are loam. So we kind of have learned what trees grow best and what spots. So we make a planting plan. We'll say we have these fields available. Let's plant the sugar maples here and the redbuds here and the cherries here and the maples here and the sycamores there. And so we have this plan of what we hope will work out, and we put the tree in the best spot. And then the, once again, I was thinking – where are you planted? You know, because if that, if that sugar maple goes in the field that the weeping willows grow well in or the sycamores grow well in, it's going to die. It's a term we say wet feet. The roots don't want to be in water. And often I think we can try to plant ourselves in a place that God doesn't have made for us, you know? So we need to allow him to plant us where he knows we'll grow best. I'm going to read the parable of the sower, and it's, it's kind of, you know, obviously it's about God's seed and, and us, but I also want to, like, look at it in a way of us as the seed that God is using to the world because we can fall, we can plant ourselves in rocky ground, and we can plant ourselves in thorny ground, and, but we can also choose to plant ourselves in good ground. And I'm going to read it in the message, and we don't have it in the computer. But the reason I picked it is because we it's a story that we've all read a lot, and sometimes we right just hear it. Um, so here we go. At about that same time, Jesus left the house and sat on the beach. In no time at all, a crowd gathered around the shoreline, forcing him to get into a boat. Using the boat as a pulpit, he addressed his congregation telling stories. What do you make of this? A farmer planted a seed. As he scattered the seed, some of it fell on the road, and birds ate it up. 
Some of it fell in the gravel. It sprouted quickly, but didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell in the weeds. As it came up, it was strangled by the weeds. Some fell on good earth and produced a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. He replied, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everybody has this gift, this insight. It hasn't been given to them. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understanding flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace soon disappears. That's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge the people toward receptive insight. In their present state, they can stare till doomsday and not see it. Listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. I don't want Isaiah's forecast repeated all over again. Your eyes are open, but you don't hear a thing. Your eyes are awake, but you don't see a thing. The people are blockheads. They stick their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look. So they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. But you have God-blessed eyes that see and God-blessed ears, ears that hear. A lot of people, prophets and humble believers among them, would have given anything to see what you are seeing, to hear what you are hearing, but never had the chance. Study this story of the farmer planting seed. When anyone hears news of the kingdom and doesn't take it in, it just remains on the surface. And so the evil one comes among and plucks it right out of the person's heart. This is the seed the farmer scattered on the road. The seed cast in the gravel, this is the person who hears and instantly responds with enthusiasm. But there's no soil of character. And so when the emotion wears off and some difficulty arrives, there's nothing to show for it. Are you listening to this? Really listening? The disciples came up and asked, why do you tell stories? The seed cast in the weeds is the person who hears the kingdom news but weeds of worry and illusions about getting more and more, excuse me, and illusions about getting more and wanting everything under the sun strangle that what was heard, and nothing comes of it. The seed cast on good earth is the person who hears and takes in the news and then produces a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. I don't know, did it? I don't know if that, like, just reading it in the message to me is. It's like, yeah, you know, I want to be good earth. I don't want to have to worry about everything. I don't want to want everything. I want to want all of Jesus. I, I want to plant myself, going back to kind of us as Christians, in the place where it's good earth for me. Because my good earth is going to be different than yours, right? That all of us have a place to be planted, a hole to fill. And we have to seek that out from God. So when we plant the tree of the nursery, whether it be from a pot or from, we call it bare root, because it just comes with just roots, no dirt on it. They have cut, not in the pot necessarily, but even disturbing the pot as we pull it out and shake it, knock it, you have to do the same thing. So they've cut the roots off in Oregon. It comes to us with the exact same amount of branches it had, but less root. Well, the roots are what take up the moisture, right? They're the what take up the water to the top to support the leaves. So... What we have to do, we prune them back because it doesn't have enough root to support 
all of those leaves. So in doing that, we give the roots time to grow out, get stronger, hold it up also, because the other thing is sometimes they want to fall over because they have limited root, but they have all this, we call it the head of the tree. And I got to thinking about that, you know, that often as new Christians, we might be a little too big for our britches, you know? We might, we might come in and we want to tell the pastor, this is how it's got to be done, or tell the whatever. And God's like, hold on, buddy. You need a little pruning, right? You don't have enough root to hold yourself. Let me do that. Let the people of your church do that. The iron sharpening iron. Josh talked about that when the men's group one time. You know, that we come together and we, get, we prune ourselves. We, and it, it hurts, right? Pruning hurts. So the falling over the trees, and that got me thinking about us, right, as baby Christians versus adult Christians. Root, and as it gets bigger, right, the trunks get bigger in trees so they can support this head. And what happens in, when they come from Oregon, they've been growing so close that they haven't done all of that. So that took me to another scripture in Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, I guess I just think, like, as I read that, as going back to our tree, we need to examine ourselves, you know. And when I dig the tree, I do the same thing to it. I cut the roots again, and we ship it to the customer who puts it in the ground, and hopefully it can sit there and grow forever. And I, a while back, I talked about, in the football sermon, the transfer portal, you know, and that so often in our life, when things get hard, we, we want to jump out of that because it's hard, it's painful, and we want to go somewhere else. But when you do that, you cut the roots. You pull them out, and there's no way to pull them out and not damage them. And I think often God's just wanting to prune us a little bit. He's just wanting to shape us a little bit to make us stronger, to make us ready for the storm, that when the wind blows or whatever, we can stand. So then we are. So we got our tree. We've planted it. We've pruned it, right? So depending on the weather, we either will pull our irrigation line down it. We, have, we pull a little hose down that's got a dripper, and that waters the row. Or we may have to put a stake on it. Um, so what we do is we have uh, bamboo, looks like a big 10-foot stick. You put it in right beside the tree, and you tie the tree to it. That's to hold it up because, again, you don't want it blowing over and coming out the ground and the roots aren't in the dirt. So let's say it's a dry spring. We're going to have to water them because, again, it's not there. And that's what coming to church is. You get watered. That's what talking to somebody, a Christian brother, a Christian sister, is you're, you're watering. You're praying. You're watering. You're reading the Word. You're watering. You're worshiping. It's watering yourself so that you don't dry out, so that you aren't all crispy and, and useless, right? I mean, the only thing a dried-out tree is good for is fire. So Isaiah 12, 2 and 3 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. 
So where do we draw our water? Where's our irrigation system? It's the Lord. You know, it's realizing I'm dry. I'm nasty. Mark and I were talking about something a year or two ago. And I was like, Mark, I just, I feel so gross, you know? And he said he heard one guy say one time, lady, I don't know who it was. When you stink, soak, you know? When you, when you feel stinky, you need to soak a little more in the water, right? The water of our salvation, the well of salvation. Another Isaiah 58, 11, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose water, waters do not fail. You know, it's a whole lot of work. That's kind of one of my main tasks in the summer is, is getting the water from the pond, the river, whatever it is, to the trees. And there's a lot of pipe and there's a lot of pump and there's a lot of filter. And, you know, so... Jesus did that. The Holy Spirit does that, and we don't have to do anything. Like, often I, I feel like we, we want to make it hard, you know, to get watered. We want to act like I've got to do it. I've got to go get a bucket and draw it down when, when God's saying it's right there. Um, Jim and I were talking, and he was saying he went to a conference, and he was like, God, I just, and I think, I don't know, maybe girls do, but I know, I know for me I do it like, I, I see it like an equation. Well, I've got to have the three variables equal this, and then everything's got to line up, and then God, you'll, you'll show up. And Jim said on the third day, God was like, stop. Stop trying. I've already done it. And I think that's often what we need to get out of this is that the Lord waters us, and he feeds us. and We don't need to have it all right. We don't have to be perfect for that to happen. All right, so our tree's planted, it's growing, it's watered. We are going to stake it now because often, this is what, uh, let's see if I can be a perfect tree. This is what, this looks more like a cross, let's do that. The landscapers, they want everything to be one central leader, we call it, with branches coming off, okay? And that doesn't happen much. Certain trees do do that, but most trees don't on their own. So we have to put the stake beside it, and we tie it. Every two or three feet, it gets a tie, it gets a tie, it gets a tie. And as it grows, it continues to get tied. And that'll, that says something too. You know, as we grow, we may grow a little this way, a little that way. And the Lord's like, I, I want to pull you back up straight, right? Um, I got a little story here. A man found a, co a cocoon of the emperor moth and took it home to watch it emerge. One day a small opening appeared, and for several hours the moth struggled, but couldn't seem to force its body past a certain point. Deciding something was wrong, the man took scissors and snipped the remaining bit of the cocoon. The moth emerged easily, its body large and swollen, the wings small and shriveled. He expected that in a few hours the wings would spread out in their natural beauty, but they did not. Instead of developing into a creature free to fly, the moth spent its life dragging around a swollen body and shriveled wings. The constricting cocoon and the struggle necessary to pass through the tiny opening are God's way of forcing fluid from the body into the wings. The merciful, quote-unquote, snip was, in reality, cruel. The struggle is exactly what we need. You know, there's trees that if we let them grow sideways too long and we try to pull them back up, like they break. The, the, you know, the central leader will break. So you got you to gotta constantly be training it and pulling it. And I guess I see life, I don't know, I've prayed this a lot, for a long time, as, as a path, right? You know, and you don't really know where it's going. 
you know, it's the, Jesus will show you the next step and then the next step, but he doesn't show you the whole path. And I've always prayed, Lord, I know I will go the wrong direction, right? We all do. We were supposed to step this way and we went this way, but I, I pray, Lord, don't let me walk too far in the wrong direction. You know that I want to be on it. And I realize I will step off of it, but I don't want to make 50 steps that way. I want to make two and be like, oh, man, tie me back up, Lord, right? Train me back up straight. But that hurts, doesn't it? You know, I don't know what I'm not a I'm not a tree hugger, tree feely, this guy. But when you're taking something that's pretty pretty intent on going sideways, you know, and, and sometimes we put a pretty big piece of bamboo on it because the regular stake just pulls over with it, right? So we need something stronger to pull it up. And as that happens, I don't know what it, trees certainly don't have feelings, but, uh, you know, it's cracking, it's breaking. It's not fun. Let's say trees have feelings. Let's say it's painful. How about that? All right. It's us, right? It's, uh, this, this hurts, you know, getting this thing out of me, getting this kink out of me. But Hebrews 12, 3 through 11 says this, for consider him who endureth such hosti- endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Right? That's Jesus. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Right? That's the pulling straight. That's getting the kinks out. That's making you saleable, right? That's making you useful. That's making you desirable. It's the chastening of the Lord is. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I don't know, I just thought about something, and I may make this point later, but if I do, I'll repeat it. The reason the central leader with branches coming off is desirable is because when a storm comes, when the ice load comes, the wind comes, it will hold up. If I get a tree that's forked, I've seen it numerous times, what happens is eventually one side's going to break off, right? Because it's out of balance, because it's not, it's got a bad union in that branch. We call it, yeah, anyway, it's got a bad a lot of times rot will get in there and it'll break off. So that's why you want central leader with smaller branches coming off. And the only way that happens to us as Christians is the training, the chastening. And if, if you can live and you can do whatever you want to and you don't feel convicted, Hebrews says, 
you're not a son. Um, I remember reading that for the first time kind of as a baby Christian, and I was like, well, I'm really glad I got convicted about that because, you know, some people say, I don't know that I'm saved. And I think, well, can you go sin freely and never feel convicted about it? Then you do need to check it. But if you go and you do this and you're like, man, God, I messed it up. I stepped five steps to the right. When you said go left, that's just our relationship with him. That's, that's just a confirmation that you are saved, that you're walking with him and it's a journey and he's training you. So we've got our tree, we've got it staked, we've watered it, we've staked it, it's growing, it's doing well. But the other thing we do is we scout around, we look for bugs, we look at the tree, like you can kind of just tell sometimes, like, that one looks a little thirsty. Those might need more water. Those are kind of struggling. There's a fungus, there's a bug, let's spray this, let's get the weeds out, let's give it more water, let's give it less water. You're, you're growing, right? That's our job as, as growers, is that we or to study the tree. We're supposed to, because our goal is to put it on a truck and send it down the road and get paid for it. That's why we do what we do. But I can't do that if it dies, if it's struggling along and doesn't grow well. If uh, tip bores got in the end of it and now all of the leaves are a big ball because this thing killed, and I don't want to go too far into tree geekness, but, but there are things that we do for the tree. There are things that we protect it things that we do to protect it and to help it to grow well and fast. And as I was writing this, I was thinking, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us, you know? And I was like, I know there's a scripture somewhere that talks about that. And I did find in Psalms 91, 1 through 12, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. You say fungus, disease, right? He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the, the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And I just thought, yeah, we've got, we've got a, IPM stands for integrated pest management. And like a lot of nurseries have an IPM program. God has an IPM program for you. If we stay in the shadows, right? If we stay tied to the stake, if we allow him to water us, that he's, he's watching out for us and he's protecting us. And I think often we, I know I, I should say like that, that I always wonder, God, why didn't you, or why do you? And then I, and then it always had the thought of what about the other thousand things that he kept away from me or the other thousand things that he did. And I'm focusing on this one, right? That we do walk by faith and not by sight. 
So I talked about pruning for structure, for strength. We've got certain trees because we are fertilizing hard and we're watering hopefully perfectly and we have the pH exactly right in the soil. Our red buds can grow like eight feet in a year. And if we don't prune that, and we get late in the summer and we get one of those kind of misty, like sticks to the branch rains, they will actually just, they will break themselves to pieces, right? So for the good of the tree, we prune them. For the good of us, God prunes us. Just like at the beginning, he, you know, we prune the tree because we didn't have much root. Just like a new Christian, we grow slowly. But sometimes we grow fast. And sometimes we may grow one branch too fast. And it may be perfectly fine or it may be something of ourself, but God says, I'm going to cut that back a little bit. And you know, obviously, there's a lot of um, talk of, of pruning in the Bible. Um, John 15, 1 through 4. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So there's a story of a little boy named David. You know, in pruning, again, it hurts when it happens to us, right? The, the pulling the kinks out of us, the pruning of us, none of it is fun. There's a story of a two-year-old named David with leukemia. was taken by his mother, Deborah, to a Massachusetts general hospital in Boston to see Dr. John Truman, who specializes in treating children with cancer and various blood diseases. Dr. Truman's prognosis was devastating. <clears throat> he has a 50-50 chance. The countless clinic visits, the blood test, the intravenous drugs, the fear and pain. The mother's ordeal can be almost as bad as the child's because she must stand by, unable to bear the pain herself. David never cried in the waiting room, and although his friends in the clinic <clears throat> had to hurt him and stick, him, stick needles in him, he hustled in ahead of his mother with a smile, sure of the welcome he always got. When he was three, David had to have a spinal tap, a painful procedure at any age. <laughs> Sorry, y'all, I guess I think of my small kids do this, but the point is, is that the Bible says, lest we come as a little child, right? All right. <clears throat> it was explained to him that because he was sick, Dr. Truman had to do something to make him better. If it hurts, remember, it's because he loves you, Deborah said. The procedure was horrendous. It took three nurses to hold him still while he yelled and sobbed and struggled. When it was almost over, the tiny boy, soaked in sweat and tears, looked up at the doctor and gasped, Thank you, Dr. Truman, for my hurting his perspective was the pain was for his healing. You know, and often in our life, like bad things come and hurt comes and sadness comes. And we're like, why God, why? You know, it may be for the healing. And it's so twisted and I'm not going to be like pain and death comes from God. And because we know who the father of death is, we know who the father of lies is. So sometimes people say, well, I, I'm not even going to go there. I don't have theological understanding to be like what God allows and what God doesn't allow. But 
I know where death comes from. I know where sickness comes from. But I also know that God takes the sickness and the pain and the hurt and the struggles and then pairs it with him, and it makes us better. It makes us stronger. So I started out this whole thing talking about your season to shine, right? The sugar maple, the fall color, the beauty of it. And us as Christians is our, in our season to shine. So I started thinking about back to my like plant physiology classes. And I had to do a little research because I'm not Joel. It like, seems like he remembers everything he's ever read. But I remembered enough to pass the test and get out of college. But I went back and reread like what, where does fall color come from? Okay. So I'm going to talk about chlorophyll for a minute. Chlorophyll is located in a plant's chloroplast, which are tiny structures in a plant's cell. This is where photosynthesis takes place. I should have practiced these words. Phytoplankton, the microscopic floating plants that form the basis of the entire marine food web, contain chlorophyll, which is why high phytoplankton concentrations can make water look green. Chlorophyll's job in a plant is to absorb light, usually sunlight. The energy absorbed from the light is transferred to two kinds of energy storing molecules. Through photosynthesis, the plant uses the stored energy to convert carbon, carbon dioxide and water into glucose, a type of sugar. Plants use glucose together with nutrients taken up from the soil to make new leaves and other plant parts. The process of photos photosynthesis produces oxygen, which is released by the plant into the air. Chlorophyll gives plants their green color because it does not absorb the green wavelengths of white light. That particular light wavelength is reflected from the plant, so it appears green. Plants that use photosynthesis to make their own food are called autotrophs. Animals that eat plants, I don't know if I even know if I need to read any more of that, because food webs in every type of ecosystem, ecosystem from terrestrial to marine begin with photosynthesis, chlorophyll can be considered a foundation for all life on Earth. All right, so chlorophyll, photosynthesis, can be considered the foundation of all life on earth. But for fall color to come through, chlorophyll has to die. And when I read like, it, that was a light bulb moment for me, that for us to get the beauty of fall color, the life producing molecule in the leaf has to die. Are you getting it? Like for us to shine, for our season to be, we have to die. We have to die to self and the things that we think are important. What is it, you know, what does it look like? Is it, is it the greed or is it pride or is it, what is your thing? What is your chlorophyll that needs to die so that your beauty, God's beauty that's in you can shine through? So it's not clouded. It's not covered up by the chlorophyll. It's not covered up by the thing that gives you life, but it actually shines the true creator of life. Luke 9, 23 through 25. Then he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him kill his chlorophyll. 
Let him take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and it is himself destroyed or lost? I'm going to read one more. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So for us to truly shine, for us to truly be in our season as Christians, we have to give up. And I think, oh, I hate to say this, even stand in front of y'all. That's what fasting does. Cause I'm so like, I, I know it does it. I know it does it. Like I know it, it, it like takes me to this place where I realize how much I love food and how much like, yes, that is what keeps me going. But my true shine comes when I realize I let all of that die. You know, I let my pride die and what I want die. And, and I let the colors of Christ come through. Right. So I'm thinking about the sermon. Pastor Bernie said he was going to be gone. And uh, I'm in the shower last Sunday before church. And God says, well, what about when it's not your season? Right? Because the sugar maple has a season. And God says, what do you do when it's not your season? What do, what do you do when it's June and your fall color needs to shine? Uh, I don't know. You know, like trees don't do that. Right? But then I did think of a scripture we all know well, right? 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long sufferings and teaching. So I looked up those two, the seasons, right, in my concordance. And it was interesting because I just assumed season, season. It's the same word. It's not the same word. The first season is when the opportunity occurs, okay? So when the opportunity occurs, be ready. The second one is unseasonable from another word meaning inopportune for oneself or if it lacks opportunity. And I guess the one that really caught me is the, the inopportune moment for myself. And I have a lot of those where I think God's like, nope, not now. I'm busy. You know, I got to get here. My kids are at the in-laws and they're going to kill them if they stay five minutes longer, right? You know, I don't have time, God. I don't want to. I'm scared, right? But being ready in season and out of season is doing it at the inopportune time. So... I've got this story. I'm actually, I'm just trying to think. Um, yeah, let's, let's read it because it, it's good. And it, just, it, it really kind of brought it back to me for there's a moment. And often we want to analyze the moment and make the rest of our life, right, happen by it. But let, let's read this. Once there was an old man who lived in a tiny village. Although poor, he was envied by all, for he owned a beautiful white horse. Even the king coveted his treasure. A horse like this had never been seen before. Such was its splendor, its majesty, its strength. People offered fabulous prices for the steed, but the old man always refused. The horse is not a horse to me, he would tell them. 
It is a person. How could you sell a person? He is a friend, not a possession. How could you sell a friend? The man was poor and the temptation was great, but he never sold the horse. One morning he found that the horse was not in the stable. All the village came to see him. You old fool, they scoffed. We told you that someone would steal your horse. We warned you that you would be robbed. You are so poor. How could you ever hope to protect such a valuable animal? It would have been better to save, to have sold him. You could have gotten whatever price you wanted. No amount would have been too high. Now the horse is gone and you've been cursed with, mis with misfortune. The old man responded, don't speak too quickly. Say only that the horse is not in the stable. That is all we know. The rest is judgment. If I've been cursed or not, how can you know? How can you judge? The people contested. Don't make us out to be fools. We may not be philosophers, but great philosophy is not needed. The simple fact is that your horse is gone, that your horse is gone is a curse. The old man spoke again. All I know is that the stable is empty and the horse is gone. The rest, I don't know. Whether it be a curse or a blessing, I can't say. All we can see is a fragment. Who can say what will come next? The people of the village laughed. They thought that the man was crazy. They had always thought he was a fool. If he wasn't, he would have sold the horse and lived off the money. But instead, he was a poor woodcutter, an old man still cutting firewood and dragging it out of the forest and selling it. He lived hand to mouth in the misery of poverty. Now he had proven that he was indeed a fool. After 15 days, the horse returned. He hadn't been stolen. He had run away into the forest. Not only had he returned, he had brought a dozen wild horses with him. Once again, the village gathered around the woodcutter and spoke, Old man, you were right and we were wrong. What we thought was a curse was a blessing. Please forgive us. The man responded, Once again, you go too far. Say only that the horse is back. State only that a dozen horses return with him. But don't judge. How do you know if this is a blessing or not? You see only a fragment. Unless you know the whole story, how can you judge? You read only one page of a book. Can you judge the whole book? You read only one word of a phrase. Can you understand the entire phrase? Life is so vast, yet you judge all of life with one page or one word. All you have is a fragment. Don't say that this is a blessing. No one knows. I am content with what I know. I am not perturbed by what I don't. Maybe the old man was right. They said to one another. So they said little, but deep down they knew he was wrong. They knew it was a blessing. Twelve odd horses had returned with one horse. With a little bit of work, the animals could be broken and trained and sold for much money. The old man had a son, an only son. The young man began to break the wild horses. After a few days, he fell from one of the horses and broke both legs. Once again, the villagers gathered around the old man and cast their judgments. You were right, they said. You proved you were right. The dozen wild horses were not a blessing. They were a curse. Your only son has broken his legs, and now in your old age, you have no one to help you. Now you are poorer than ever. The old man spoke again. You people are obsessed with judging. Don't go so far. Say only, what, say only that my son broke his legs. Who knows if, a blessing, if it's a blessing or a curse? No one knows. We only have a fragment. Life comes in fragments. It so happened that a few weeks later, the country engaged in war against a neighboring country. All the young men in the village were required to join the army. Only the son of the old man was excluded because he was injured. 
Once again, the people gathered around the old man crying and screaming because their sons had been taken. There was little chance that they could return. The enemy was strong and the war would be a losing struggle. They would never see their sons again. You were right, old man, they wept. God knows you were right. This proves it. Your son's accident was a blessing. His legs may be broken, but at least he is with you. Our sons are gone forever. The old man spoke again. It is impossible to talk with you. You always draw conclusions. No one knows. Say only this. Your sons had to go to war, and mine did not. No one knows if it is a blessing or a curse. No one is wise enough to know. Only God knows. You know, you read that as we think about training and struggling and pruning. And sometimes we think we've arrived. Sometimes we think this is going to ruin us or this is going to make us. But we don't really know, right? We're guaranteed this moment with God, and we don't know what tomorrow will bring. I think it's good to plan. I think it's good to, right? The Proverbs talks about that. But so often in this life, we think we've got it all together. You know, we <laughs> the TV was on this morning, and Joe Montana was advertising something for, you know, retired people and like he I looked at him and I thought this guy was the best you know and it's like a reality check like we're all on a downhill slide and I guess as as I get older the more I realize it you know in the 20s I certainly didn't think about my downhill slide but we are so are we going to shine in season and out you know are we going to let Christ do something in us that we can't do on our own. Let's see. So whatever you're walking through, I think like hard times or good times, let's just remember that we've got today, right? You know, and whether we're, we are straight and we're tied to the stake or whether we're crooked really sideways, whether our roots are deep, that Christ has called us into a life to shine, a life to show off for him and not to show ourselves, our chlorophyll, but a life to show the underlying pigment in us, which should be the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read Philippians 4, 10 through 13 first in the New King James Version, and then I'm going to read the message because, again, I think it, it just helps a familiar scripture sink in a little more for me. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you care for me. Your care for me has flourished again. Through, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to be how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All right, so I'm gonna read in the message now. I'm glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess. Happy that you're again showing such strong concern for me. Not that you ever quit praying and thinking about me. You just had no chance to show it. Actually, 
I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, whatever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. I don't mean that your help didn't mean a lot to me. It did. It was a beautiful thing that you came alongside me in my troubles. Whatever I have, whatever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. So that's, I think, what Jesus is saying. And I feel like that's what almost Pastor Bernie's sermon last week is the answer to. What do you do when it's not your season? What do you do when you're filled with chlorophyll and all the world sees is what keeps you going, what you want? And Jesus is saying, under that, under you is me, and I'm a whole lot prettier, right? I'm what people want to look, look at, right? When, I mean, people take pictures of the fall color tree. They don't necessarily take pictures of the tree with green leaves. Think about it. You know, we drive, we plan trips to time it so you can see the fall color. The world wants to see Jesus in us, not us in us. So, yeah, let's, I'll use this example. So yesterday was the big football game against Tech and UVA. And at the end, there's an interim coach right now coaching Tech. And he played for Tech, I think it's 91 or something. And at the end of the game, they interviewed him. And he's, no, well, the interview him said, this is, this is home. This is, you know, he was very emotional for the win. But the interesting thing I thought about this morning is there's a, I think he's a linebacker. And he said earlier this week that Coach Price is one of us because he's played on the team and he's played the same games. And they, they just rallied behind him, I think, because he's one of us. And football game aside, Jesus is one of us, you know, that the Bible says he was tempted in every way as we are, but he didn't sin, right? He cried because his friend died. So I think what God is trying to say to me, and and hopefully it came out, is that he wants to shine through you. That often our pride and our arrogance and our selfishness and all these ugly things that's in us, our sinful nature, it's just there, right? Paul says the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do, is the chlorophyll that clouds the Jesus shining through us. That we must die to ourselves. Like Pastor Bernie says, the Christian walk, it's a death walk. You get on the altar, all right, God, kill it. And then you pull yourself off and go bring something back to life, right? So this morning, as we close, yeah, I just, wanna, I just want us to meditate on that. That is, God, what, what's in me that's, that's, that's covering up your glory, that's covering up what you want to do in me and through me? 
And let's just give it up to him today. You know, I was thinking about this morning again, like what, what I say, yes, it matters. And what the worship team sings, it matters. But what really is going to make our church shine is what all of us do with it. Like the choice you make and you make and you make and you make right now, but also tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and the rest of your life. That's what the Christian walk is about. Yeah, so I think let's do a song. Are you doing the one that's in the lineup? <laughs> I was saying that this morning. I felt it, you know. So it's Jesus paid it all, I hope, right? Yeah, that's what I looked at my phone and saw. Guys, God's not the author of confusion. You know, he loves us. And he wants more for us than we could ever dream. But it's our choice to pick it up and to, and to let ourselves die and to let him manifest that inside of us. So I just challenge you right now. Do you need this back? Uh, we're sharing iPad this morning. Um, to just take a moment and reflect on that. You know, and I can't tell you what it is. All you can, only, the only way to do it is to just get on your face or whatever it looks like in front of God and say, God, I really do want to shine for you. I really do want to be the beautiful whatever that is you to the world. The thing that draws people, the thing that makes people drive two hours to drive down the road and see it. That's what I want our church to be. I want it to be the place where his love is so strong that that's what revival is. Revival is his love so strong that sin can't come in and, and, and sickness and all these things that the, is the devil can't come in because his love is so strong. And the way that happens is that we die to ourselves and we allow him to continue to grow and to get stronger inside of us and under our chlorophyll. So let's do that this morning. And I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. A child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Now go ahead and stand with us. Is Jesus paid it all? Oh, to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change this leprous spots. And melt my heart of stone Cause Jesus paid it all Oh, to him I owe Sin had left crimson stain He washed it white as snow And when before the throne 
I stand in him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. So my lips shall still repeat. Come on, lift your voice. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. And oh, praise the one who's paid my debt, who raised my life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who has paid my debt, who raised my life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt. Come on, one more time. Jesus paid. Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. The sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as As we continue Thanksgiving this morning, Lord, we do give you the thanks for paying the price, God. You paid the price, God, and today, Lord, we give you our chlorophyll, God. We give you the things, God, that cloud you shining through us, Lord, and we ask that you would help us to get rid of them in our hearts and in our life, Lord, that can we, we can be a church, God, that draws people to you. Lord, may we always give you the praise and the glory and the credit, Lord, for all that's done in our lives, God. Lord, we continue to pray for Pastor Bernie and Jeannie, Lord, and their family, Ms. Granny Abby, God, that your peace, Lord, would flood that room, Lord that you would fly in, Lord, like the dove when Jesus was baptized, that your Holy Spirit would just descend on them right now, God. You're so good to us, Lord, and we don't deserve it, God, and we just are so appreciative for all that you do, Lord. I just pray that you'd be with the body today as they go, God, that it would, that love would abound in their homes, God. Their homes would be their sanctuary. It would be their safe place, God. It would be their refuge, Lord, not a place of bickering, not a place of contention, God, but a place of peace and love, Lord. God, I pray for their jobs, Lord, that they, they would get favor, God, that you would be with them as they travel on the road, that they would be protected, Lord, that their health, God, would be protected and restored, Lord. We thank you again for this day, Lord. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.